Good evening for those of you who are watching and those of you in the recording. Uh, I'm Avi Grossman. This is Parsha Talk. Uh, tonight's guest is Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. Uh, he'll be with us in a few moments. We're just going to admit him. Here we go. If anybody has a problem, please uh, please send it to me in the chat. And uh, also, for those of you who are having a problem getting the transmission, it's best if you kill your camera and also mute yourselves. So... Thank you very much. Uh, we're looking for Rabbi Gladstein. He's here with us, I think. Okay. Oh. Did I use the right? Uh... Good afternoon, Rabbi Gladstein. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you, Rabbi Grossman, for the opportunity today. How's everything? Oh, oh thank God. It's already Hanukkah here. Uh, I love Hanukkah. I don't know. Since I was a kid, it, it's uh, good. And I, I especially like it because it allows me to continue with my regular yeshiva schedule. It's not so much of an imposition. Uh, also, I, I, I'm surprised how every year it becomes that I see more and more people are mocked for what I was taught is the proper way to light Hanukkah candles, to light at sundown. Uh, most of my neighbors do so. I see people, even, thank God, those uh, balabatim who are always hard at work, they always get home, they, they try to get home in time to light specifically at, at, uh, at sundown. I remember growing up, most people weren't mocked for that. And maybe you could tell me what's going on there in the New York area. Are people, do people uh, have that hakpada, or are they still lighting at Sace or any time in the evening? Um, look, uh, nowadays, Persumenisa is primarily for the people in the household. So until people get home from work, it ends up being well after Sace. But actually, you know, Ramosha holds in America, you light something like between 13 and 18 minutes after Shkia, and Ravar and Cutler holds even later. So... I don't know if there are any specific opinions to light at Shkia here in America, but um, most people come home from work at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, you know, until everybody gets home from school. So it could take a while. I remember that was the case. I also remember in Yeshiva, there wasn't so much of a hakpada. It only became something that when you start learning here on the Israeli side, there's always a Rosh Yeshiva who tells you like the first time before Hanukkah, we're going to, we're going to light right at says among the Sephardim, they say, we're going to, oh, sorry, right at Shkia. And there's Sephardim here. They say, we're light right at says 20 minutes after sundown Machbit. And in the Yeshiva days, I remember we were lighting at Mariv, you know, sometimes six thirty seven. what there was no, uh, there was very little uh, Hakpada like, uh, like the Yekis have to do at a very specific time. So, right. It was, it, was a, it was a big surprise coming here, but now I, I guess i gotten used to that. Uh, for First, I'd like to welcome everybody. Every, every minute, someone else has been joining. Uh, this is Parsha Talk. This is the first time we're doing this on Zoom. Uh, normally, we use other methods or we just record it. So I'm happy to, uh, that all of you are here. I think maybe we'll just use this as the, as the new method. Uh, Rabbi Gladstein is the Rav of Machon Magid Horakia in Cedarhurst, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Right? That's one of the five towns. I don't know where the lines between the five towns are. So people tell me they're from Woodmere, from Cedarhurst. It, they're actually, the lines are um, in through my backyard. Half of the property is Cedarhurst and half is Woodmere. And it depends for what. depends whether it's a postage or, you know, uh, there are different lines of demarcation. So I'm straddling. I'm Paisach al-Shtei over here. Okay. So uh, welcome, Rabbi Gladstein. I'd like to also tell our viewers, Rabbi Gladstein has some has a new safer out. It's called The Light and the Splendor. It's published by Art Scroll, and it's available on Art Scroll's website. And we're going to talk about it in, in just a moment. Uh, you know, Rabbi Gladstein also put out a safer about Rabbi Meir Balanes. It's called El Akad de Meir Aneni. Uh, I think if you check out Rabbi Gladstein's website, which is Rabbi DG, that's R A B B I 
D, the letters D, letter G.com. And you can see the details there for getting Rabbi Gladstein safer. Now he'll tell us a little about it. What is uh, El Akadameir Anini about? So El Akadameir Anini is, uh, it's a book many years in the work. Um, it's about the Tana Rabbi Meir and primarily his shita that that regardless of what a Jew does, they always retain their status as uh, the children of Hashem. And it basically traces uh, the machloikis between Rameir and Rabbi Huda, because Rabbi Huda, of course, uh, disputes this. Rabbi Huda is of the opinion that it depends how we act. If we misbehave, then we're not considered banim. If we behave properly, only then Hashem deems us banim. There, it explores the idea that we never paskin like Rameir, and uh, the Rajba says this is the one exception in Shas that we paskin like Rameir. Why is this the exception? Where did Rameir get this shita from? Is this his own shita? Did he learn it from his Rabbi Rebekiva? Did he learn it from his wife, Bruria? Who is Rameir a Gilgalov, which may explain where this shita comes from? And then utilizing the concept that we're Banalamakim in its ramifications nearly to every single mitzvah in the Torah, whether it's tzitzis, whether it's tefillin, whether it's uh, coming of Mashiach, whether it's tchias hamesim, whether it's uh, bar mitzvah, whether it's Hanukkah. So it really is a principle that has far-reaching ramifications throughout Kala Torah Kula. So, uh, uh, you actually it many, might be a Gilgul. Yeah. How would we know who is, a, assuming, assuming there are such a thing, I know that there are some old, old school Rabbanim who are very much opposed, even though every morning I sit and I hear the, uh, uh, a shear on uh, Shara Kavanos and Gilgulim of the Ari. How do we know who is a Gilgul of who? How can we possibly know, even with the regards to uh, great personages, famous uh, Tanoim, for example? Um, you're telling me Elio Anavi never came to you to tell you who... Who is a Gogol of who? I'm, I'm surprised about that, Rabbi Grossman. No, um, but actually, all kidding aside. Yeah, I'll tell you the okay. truth. My wife has met, uh, thank, in her zechus, we have encountered Elio Novi twice. He was at our at our vort, and he was there to tell us about our, the purchase of our house just a few years ago. So I, we've, we've, we've had that experience, but I don't know how I would know if he wouldn't tell me. How, how, okay. how does anybody know about these things? Look, a gogulam is not something that anybody can make up, but as you mentioned, you would have to go to the very legitimate sources on the subject, namely the Ariza on the Shar HaGogulim, the Ramami Pano in, the, in his Sefer HaGogulim. Okay. And uh, sometimes the Yalta Ruveni will bring uh, early Kabbalistic sources. So in, in this case, when it comes to a mayor, the Yalta Ruveni brings from... Kadmoine Mikubalim, that Rameir was actually a Nitzutz, which is slightly different than the concept of Gilgal, of the Malach Matatron, who is the one who records the merit of the Jewish people. So the commonality between Matatron and Rameir, by the way, an interesting thing is yes. the word Matatron is Memtes Memtes, which corresponds to that which Sigmar says about Rameir, that Rameir could come up with 49 ways to permit a Sharetz and 49 ways to Aser. So that's one of the clues that Rameir is connected to the Malach Matachon. And as Matachon was the Safra Rabbah, he is the great recorder of the merit of the Jewish people. What greater merit could somebody uh, defend the Jewish people with than what Rameir did, that we're always the children of Hashem. So there are certain commonalities between Rameir and the Malach Matachon, but that's, that's a minor chap, that's a minor aspect of the Sefer. What would you consider a major aspect of the Sefer that, that uh, readers should know about? Oh, my my uh, favorite chapter yes. is uh, Parak Yud Gimel. And uh, so Rabbi Gross, you live in Kol Chav Yaakov, right? 
Yes. So how far are you from Tavaria? Uh, well, I, I haven't driven there lately. I think it's a two, two hour drive on a good two day north of here. <clears throat> so, so interesting piece of information. And I think many are not aware of it. And, it's, and the truth is it's an explicit Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. You know, where will Mashiach reveal himself? Well, they said that there's, there's an idea that at the same place where the Sanhedrin last uh, convened. Oh, good. It would so, be up in Tiveria around the, those areas. If, right. If it's the old city. There's Tiveria, the modern-day Tiveria has greatly expanded beyond uh, classical Tiveria. It's now already including other towns that the Italian were familiar with. But yes, around yeah, there. Actually, one of the, one of the tour guides who writes uh, in one of the publications, uh, Fraim Schwartz, he just messaged me yes. that the Shloh HaKadosh started a shul in Tiveria where, where their legend has it that Rizal was and then it turned into a, a Greek Orthodox church. Oy. And he was writing a whole essay on the, on the connection between Tiveria and the Greeks and Hanukkah. Okay, but uh, the Gemara does say that the last stop of the Sanhedrin and the last stop of the Shechina was Tiveria. And the Gemara says, asidin ligoyl. That's where we're destined to be redeemed from. So interesting thing, that means Mashiach will reveal itself in Tiveria, even though... The Zayar says Mashiach will reveal himself in the Galil. The Chida sort of asks this stira between the Zayar and the Gemara. And the Chida says, well, Tiveria is in the Galil. It, the Zayar is giving a more general area, and the Gemara is discussing a more specific location. So, and why would that be? Why would Mashiach of all places reveal himself in Tiveria? And there's an amazing idea espoused by the Sefer M.S. Liakov, written by Rabbi Yaakov Sha'altiel Ninya one of the early Mikubalim, and it's quoted by the Ben Yehoyada. He says that uh, for Mashiach to come, all the nations of the world and all the instigators are going to say, what? Uh, these people, they do X, Y, and Z. They're no better than us. Whatever whatever Averos we do, the Jews do. And uh, the Riban Shalom doesn't really have a good tarets other than the fact that I'm redeeming them because they're my children. They're my... So the question is, but the Umay Sa'ilam says, what do you mean they're your children? But Rabbi Huda holds that when they don't do the will of God, they're not your children. So God's going to have to say, uh, I don't know, halacha karameir. So there's a law in Shulchan Aruch that if you're of the muhsuk, if you have the presumptive status of something, you could, taina, you could claim kimli, meaning, very nice, you hold like Rameir, I hold like Rabbi Huda. So the Goyim will say, look, we have the Jews. We have them in America. We have them in England. We have them in a lot of places in the world. And we're holding on to them because we hold like Rabbi Huda. So God has to come up with the following ploy. We got to go to a city where we definitely paskin like Rameir. Now, where do we paskin like Rameir? Where he's the Marada Asra. So the Emes Yaakov says in Tevaria, where Rameir lived and flourished and is buried and he's the Marada Asra, there it's and there God could bring the Mashiach and nobody could uh, nobody could stand up to that. So there's a there's a concept of the Sephardish Rabbanim here in Israel, especially Rabbi Vad Yosef used to say the base Yosef is the Marda Asra Veritas Israel still today. Even though you can make this claim, uh, a living uh, posek has to be around in order to address current questions. So there Marda Asra of years past wouldn't count, but this is a raya. You're saying even though Rabbi Meir has passed away almost uh, 2,000 years ago, he is still there. So he's still the Marda Asra, and he'll still be the Marda Asra, God willing, soon when uh, when the Mashiach has to be revealed. That's a very yeah, that's, concept. Yeah. 
That's the uh, concept of Masliyakai. Yeah. I was always surprised also going to Teferi and finding that the Rambam, who had written that you're not supposed to uh, certainly pray at even the, the, the graves of uh, Tzadikim and Talmud Chachamim, and you're not even supposed to put uh, matzevas, you're not supposed to put monuments on their graves, is buried right there next to the Shlach. He was buried first, but it's a big, well-known place that people visit. And it's sure. certainly, yeah. I, I, think, I think history and the Kalah Yisrael have, have, have shown that they don't hold like the Rambam in this regard. Uh, it's shown that even the Rambam, with his, uh, with his power as, 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 as a, the most uh, held of Posekin since the last thousand years, even Rabbi Meir trumps the Rambam, Rabbi Meir, who, uh, who was outvoted many times in his own lifetime. Uh, so everybody, that, that I, I now have to get you a copy. Mentioned, uh, Rabbi Gross, you mentioned the Rambam's kever. I believe yeah. the Rambam's father yes. is uh, buried next to him as well, over there. Okay. And um, the Rambam's father has a sefer, sefer um, Hamaimon, and there are actually footnotes on that sefer by Rabbi Hudalei Maimon, who is an interesting personality. Yes. And there... He, he writes, one of the reasons why this is the exception in Shas that we paskin like Rav Meir against Rabbi Huda, he writes very interestingly, typically Rav Meir is known as the Tanakama. He's usually quoted first. In this machloikas between Rabbi Huda and Rav Meir in Kedushan Lamed Vav, he's brought second to indicate that he has the final word on this subject. So that's a, a chidush of uh, the Rambam's father. Yeah. Okay, Rav Maimon. We don't uh, someone said, uh, I remember a joke, the, the, fellow, meant, the fellow who was the Makoshish Eitzim was the father of Benos Tzlovchad. So the right. father of the Rambam, the father of Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon is the father of the Rambam, <laughs> it's Maimon himself. Uh, yeah. I need to ask you about Hanukkah though. Uh, like I mentioned to, to our viewers, uh, you put out a, a safer recently, The Light and the Splendor. This one, El Akadameir is in Hebrew. It's a more yes. classic safer. And yes. Light and the Splendor is, is, is uh, by art school, so it's in English. And not only is it about Hanukkah, I guess the light refers to Hanukkah and the splendor refers to Tubishvat. Uh, tell me something. Uh, this, this Sefer on Hanukkah, when did it come out? And why, why should I, uh, well, I know, I, I, know I, should, I, I should read it, but how would you convince someone who's not interested to read it? Well, Rabbi Grossman, the yeah. reason why you need to buy it, because if you want me to promote your Sefer on the Haggadah, you know, we have to have a... It has to be two ways over here. By the way, I, I really enjoyed your safer. And, and for you. those watching um, who, who usually listen to my shurim, yeah. I gave an entire shear on Rabbi Grossman's safer on Haggadah Sapasach. Yes. And this yes. is not even part of the deal. I don't have to be promoting uh, Rabbi Grossman's safer. <laughs> Look, but, uh, I, I did I don't enjoy have it. art scrolls around here. I, I don't know of a single English book in this uh, Sephardic Israeli kolel. And I, like I said, I haven't been to bookstores in a really long time. Yeah, the bookstores that are supposed to be carrying Haggadah to Pesach here in Israel were closed. And every day they're threatening us with more closures. I hope I'll be able to get to a Svarb store soon. I'll probably have to go to Manny's for, for the, the, the Light and the Splendor, correct? They had, they, they I, I assume it? so, yeah. yeah. Okay. But it's available in Israel. A few people told me they purchased it. Yeah. That's interesting. The Light and the Splendor, you know, I, I always debate, what should I focus on? Writing in Hebrew, writing in English? Who should I be catering to? Are there more Jews who read Hebrew Svarim? Are there more Jews who read English Svarim? And surprisingly, over the last 24 hours, yes. I got calls from two very well-known, renowned Rabbanim in America, in New York, actually. And they said they really enjoyed the Sefer. Maybe one of them, I'll say who it was. Okay. And I said, oh, you mean Alakad Meiranini? They said, what? What's that? 
they said they were talking about the art scroll. Oh wow! So um, actually, I'll tell you the truth. It talk, you know, Svarim have uh, have um, special hashgacha protest. I don't know if this rav is going to want me to publicize his name, but let's just say he's one of the biggest tamicha chachamim in America. Good. Now I'm not going to say that he went out and he bought the art scroll book in the store, but what he told me, he's really not. He happens to be not well, and uh, he's not able to sleep at night, and right. he found himself in an apartment without any svarim, except for the light and the splendor. So I guess Eliyohanovi delivered it to him. He called me up last night. He said, why didn't you respond to my email? I said, I didn't, I didn't get your email. He said, um, I wrote an email and I have three corrections to make on the light and the splendor. I said, the Rav read the light and the splendor. So he told me he was stuck somewhere here and he was up at 1 a.m. He read the whole Sefer from 1 to 4 a.m. So that's an example of, you know, you never know who you're going to reach. Um, actually, the other Rav told me he prefers the English because it's just easier to read. Even someone who's a very big Talmud Chacham, even someone who's well-versed in Shas, an American who grew up in America, you think in the English language. I mean, Rabbi Grossman, I'm, you're, I assume you were born in America. Yeah. So I know you're fluent in Hebrew. Well, thank you. But when you think... You probably still think in the English language. That's my assumption. Uh, yeah, but I found it since moving here. There's actually, it depends on the topic. Ironically, very ironically, when I have to write about Hebrew grammar, of which I do a lot, and also we're going to, I have to promote this for the guys. We have a, I'm giving a, a, one of these Zoom classes in Hebrew next week. When it has, to, when I have to write about Hebrew grammar, I prefer English. Or writing okay. about history, I prefer English. But I don't know. I found that for certain things, uh, certain Talmudic ideas, it's actually better to write in Hebrew. But then again, uh, I could I could figure that certain ideas, certainly art school is not uh, compendiums of uh, Talmudic uh, pilpul and uh, and halachic uh, analysis. So it, it, I, I also for, if art school were to approach me to uh, to do something, I probably would write in English because that's how I think. I, yeah. I can't I can't separate myself from that. So, you know, I, I would have thought that the art school would cater to more unlearned audience. And I'm finding that it doesn't discriminate. I'm finding even the most learned people, in a way, they, they have a preference to the English. And uh, actually, the, the two Svarim are written in very different styles. The English is just a smooth read. It incorporates um, one thing, I, I, one of the, uh, the inyanim that I believe in very strongly is that when, when you give a shear or you have a presentation, don't just say the Chassam Soifer says. I want people to see the Chassam Soifer inside. I want people to see the words, learn it themselves, take a degree of ownership over it, see what he says, what I'm, what I'm uh, gleaning from him and how I'm understanding him. So uh, I always cite sources. To me, I think it's a crime when people speak and they say, it says in the Svarim, which Svarim? English Svarim, Jewish Svarim, Judaism, other religion, which Sfarim I, you know, I know the Sfarim HaKadosh, but I want to know where, what page, what edition, and I'll see for myself if it actually says it. So in the English, I cite every source, but the, the source and what I'm trying to do with the source is uh, woven together. However, in, in the Hebrew, um, I, I adopted the style from Rav David Kohen, the Rashiv of Hebron, and in his Sfarim, he quotes the the passage of the, the Makar verbatim, 
even in a slightly different size and font, so you could see this is what Rav Cohen is doing. This is what the Chassam Soifer says. This is what he's gleaning from it. So in the Hebrew, it's not as smooth of a read because there's an introductory sentence, there's the makar, and there's what I take from it. But you're able to learn it in depth. And actually, it allows you to learn the Sefer in two ways. And this is how I personally learn Rav David Kayin's Svarim. Sometimes I want to see what's, what's Rav David Kayin doing with the... What's his binion? What's, his, uh, what's he trying to create? And sometimes I don't have time for that. I just I want to see what are the different sources he brings, and I'm not even going to read what he does with it. So this safer could be read the same way. You could uh, you could open up a chapter, and you could say, okay, what's Gladstein doing here? How's he weaving everything together? Or forget the author. You know, I want to know what are the interesting uh, Mara Makaymos on Rav Meir on the subject of Hanukkah. What are the interesting Mara Makaymos on Rav Meir on the subject of Rav Meir's possible yard site, which, by the way, even though in uh, traditionally in Israel uh, and all over the world, Rav Meir's yard site is commemorated on Pesach Sheni, but the Ben Eshchai writes and Rav Chaim Falaji writes that one should light a ner Leiloy Nishmas Rav Meir on Rosh Chodesh Teves on Hanukkah. And there's uh, a lot, many who theorize that Rav Meir's yard site, in fact, is not on Pesach Sheni. In fact, the Stechemet says that it was made up, that as Yard said, is on Pesach Sheni. See, what happened was uh, everybody, Jews would come to Eretz Yisrael for Pesach, and they would stay to Shavuos, and they would have nothing to do in between, so they visited the Rajvi on Lagba Omer, and they're pumping money into the economy in Meiron, and Tiveria says, you know, you got to support us. So the so Meiron said, why, you know, what, what, do you, what do you have to offer? So they said, we have Rameir. They said, okay, but Rav Shimon Bar has a Yard side. What about Rameir? They said, I they said, you could visit a mayor even if it's not his yard site. They said, it will never go. You need an excuse to go. So they said, why don't you come on the way to the Rajbi? So they said, well, if they come to a mayor, people are going to think it's his yard site and they're not going to say Tachnun, so we can't have that happen. So they said, no problem. Let them come on Pesach Sheni. There's no Tachnun anyway. Mm. And the Stechemet said that's how it developed. But there's no basis that that's a mayor's yard site. So the question is, so when is Rav Meir's yard site? So there is an interesting sefer by somebody, Rav Pinchas Zavichi, who suggests that Rav Meir was born on Hanukkah. That's why, how he got the name Meir. So in all probability, he was nifter on Hanukkah because Sadiqim Hashem is memale shnoiseya And that's probably why the Ben Eshchai says to light a ner on Rosh Chodesh Tevis, Lila Nishmas Rav Meir Balhanes. And they, he didn't want to disturb the economy of Tiveria where people were going on Pesach Sheni. So he just said light in there, but he didn't want to burst anyone's bubble and say it was his yard site, but his real yard site is Rosh Chodesh Tebes. Hmm. Interesting. So that's also interesting uh, side subject that's uh, delved into in the Sefer. Yeah. I need to give a word from our sponsor. It, my father reminds me that his own father's yard site is Pesach Sheni. This is in memory of my grandfather, who was, actually did pass away on Pesach Sheni. And my great-grandfather, whose yurt site is tonight, also, it's in the, this is in his memory. So that's oh, our connection. Wow. We, have, we have two yurt sites. We have one Pesach Sheni and one tonight, and they're both my ancestors. Um, I need to ask you about your book about Hanukkah. You, you told me about the style in there. What interesting new ideas, uh, aside from, uh, I, of course, we're going to be reading it, so we can't get every idea there, but what could you share with us from the book uh, tonight? Regarding the Yom Tov of Hanukkah. Yes, please. Well, 
the Reb Meir commonly prayed, Elokad Meir Anini, the God of Meir answer me, which is uh, problematic. How could you say the God of Meir? God doesn't associate with any one tzaddik in their lifetime. That's the question of the Marsha. And the Marsha in the second answer says, Rabbi Meir did not mean him, that God is the God of Meir. He meant the God that illuminated the Jewish people in the times of Hanukkah, he should always answer us. Uh-huh. So we see Rameir had a particular connection with Hanukkah because he was always invoking Hanukkah. Let the God who light, lit up our eyes in the times of Hanukkah, please help us out. So the connection between Rameir and Hanukkah seems to be very clear because interestingly, a very important observation in the tefillah of Bimei Matas Yehu, which uh, it's certainly of note, who wrote that tefillah? Bimei Matas Yehu ben Yochran Kain Gadol. The Rishonim write, the Roikeach, the Kalbai, that it was written by none other than Yochanan Kain Gadol. It has 125 words, Gematria Yochanan. And wait, Yochanan Kain Gadol. We we mentioned Matas Yobin Yochanan. We're not talking about Yochanan Kain Gadol, the the one who is the father of Matas Yahu. We're talking about Yochanan Kain Gadol, the one who instituted, for example, the Mai and other uh, Takanas. Correct. When we talk about who wrote this tefillah? Yeah, because there, there's a number of men who are Yochanan Kohen Gadol. They're, after the Maccabean time, Matasio was his son was Yehuda, and the Yehuda's four brothers, obviously. And one of them was Yochanan. But he eventually, like unfortunately, like the other brothers, he fell in battle. And it was Yochanan Herkonos, who officially was Kohen Gadol next generation, also the first Maccabean ruler of that generation. He's sometimes called Yochanan Kohen Gadol. Is it a reference to him or someone else? So there's a big dispute about that. Okay. Between uh, the Gra yes. and, uh, and the Hasidim. Actually. Oh boy. Okay. Um, I believe the Gra says, because the Gemara says that Yochanan Kohen Gadol served for 80 years with Kahuna Gadayla and then he went off. So, okay, so who be- went off? Was that the father of Matasyahu or was that the son of Matasyahu? Okay, or or the or or the like I said, the or grand- somebody later, yeah. or somebody later. So the okay. Gra learns it was the son of Matasyahu, but uh, in the Olam Hasidus they say it was the father of Matasyahu. Very interesting. And, yeah, but he's so he can't be the one who who wrote uh, who wrote uh, the Alhanisim, the the Mei Matasyahu Ben Yochanan Kohen Gadol. It had to have been it had to have been a later Yochanan. He can't be writing about him his own son, right? I think it's also a matter of dispute who exactly the Yochanan was. Okay, know? either way. Whether it was go on, go on. Son. Yeah, so if you look in the terminology there, it says, uh, yeah. Why? So the, the idea is one of the principles that the Yivanim tried to uproot was the notion that we are the children of Hashem. And the Chidah writes, that's why they tried to be Mavatel, Chodesh, Mila, and Shabbos, which are mitzvahs that demonstrate we are children to Hashem. For example, we know that Goy Shabbos Chayiv Misa, a Gentile that observes Shabbos, is liable to the death penalty because Shabbos is the scepter of the king. Somebody who takes God's scepter, the scepter of the king, he's a Morid B'malchus. Only God's child is entitled to uh, observe the Shabbos. So Shabbos demonstrates we're a child to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Yavanim tried to be mevatel that. And upon the restoration of these mitzvahs, it's specifically B'achar Kain Bo'u Banecha. So this is something very connected to the Ashita and the opinion of Rabbi Meir, 
but that's really his worldview. That's his uh, outlook on life. That ben kachu, ben kachu wow. And I never thought of it that way. I, I never even considered. I figured like most uh, most most uh, texts that we say within Shmona Esrei, uh, I used to believe that it dates to the time of Anshe Knesset Agadola. But since then, uh, Rav Ariel, uh, who's uh, the head of Machon Mikdash and others have enlightened me and, and shown that the Anshe Knesset Agadola certainly couldn't have written uh, the Al-Nisim because they preceded the Hanukkah miracle. And the rest of the texts of Shmona Esrei, they did not actually establish a text, but just the order of the brachas. What has to be, what points need to be addressed in every bracha. But the actual text was something that was far more fluid. And actually, uh, now they, they dig up in Genizas all over the place, uh, texts that you and I have never seen before. For the brachas, things are completely unrecognizable. To the, you, We're familiar with the, let's say, the difference between the Ashkenazic and the Sephardic Siddur. You, you've seen them. You can pick one up. You open up. You see that there's a difference in the Shmona Esrei. Right. These texts that they're digging up and, and finding and reintroducing to at least the, the I wouldn't say the academic world because these are people in the base matters looking at these. They're finding right. texts for Bonei Rishalayim and Lamalshinim and, and uh, Rifa'enu, all the, all the brachas with which we are familiar, even the ones on Shabbos. The Shabbos brachas. We have four different, we have four different Shmona Esreis on Shabbos, four different uh, opening uh, uh, openings to those brachas, even though they all end the same, they have many more of those that we've never seen before. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if there was other texts of Alanisim, but this is something I haven't seen. I've only seen a slight difference. The Spartac version is only slightly different, but among all these texts they're digging up, we don't find that many different ones of Alhanisim for for uh, uh, for Hanukkah. That'd be a very interesting uh, for, to know yeah. who, who find, finally who did, wrote this. This Hasidish idea is actually quite fascinating to me. I'd like to see it. Uh, Rabbi Gladstein, I'm sorry uh, we're running out of time, but uh, I, I have to thank you very much. And I have to remind everybody, especially those who came in, that they could, once again, you have a number of books. Like we mentioned Elokad de Aneni, that's at your website. And yeah. The Light and the Splendor on Hanukkah and Tubishvat is available at the Art Scroll website. Correct. correct. And yeah. you, have, you have a series also, Magid Harakia series. I have one of your svarim. I think there was a number of svarim under that title. Am I correct? There are a few svarim on this, on uh, Pesach and on Purim. So okay, those so, are Pes- all... so you have on Pesach, Purim, and the, the Hanukkah and Tubish one is not part of the series. And are there more on the way? So, Bezos Hashem, look, uh, the, there's the Hebrew, Lakodomeranini. Yes. And in English, you have Hanukkah, Hanukkah and Tubishvat, as well as on the Yom Naraim and Sukkot, called the Mystery and the Majesty. Okay. And we're currently okay. working on a safer on Bereshis in Lashon HaKodesh. That's a Kirish uh, on, the, on, the, on, the on the book of the Torah. The essays, uh, um, varied essays on the, on the parashios uh, discussing important principles that, and themes of Sefer Bereshis. That's in Lashon HaKodesh. And uh, in English, working on something on uh, Tishabov and the three weeks. So, so I could tell everybody that the books in English are available. Are they all available through Art Scroll? So the English books are all available on Artscroll, and all the books are available on the website. Okay, good. So we have to check those out. We're going to have to, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot now. We have to have you come back sometime before Tubishvat now, which is going oh, to be, in, I think, in, I think a, a month from now or and a little bit more than that. And I'd also like to thank you, wish you a, a good Shabbos, Shabbat Shalom to all our viewers and a happy Hanukkah. And okay, uh, hope to see you sometime. Don't forget, everybody, uh, you can't click the like button. There's no like on Zoom, I think. But don't forget, send in your questions or comments uh, to me. And uh, don't forget to share with your friends. If you, know, if, you need someone, if you know someone who needs a recording, 
please have them get in touch with me and I'll try to make it available to them. And uh, I would like a recording. You like a recording. <laughs> Fine. So just wait. After I get off here, we're going to try to package the recording and make it available to everybody. And uh, Shabbat Shalom and uh, Happy Hanukkah for those of you who are already observing and those of you who are about to observe. Be well. Okay. Uh, good Shabbos and uh, Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Shabbat Shalom. All the best. Thanks so much. Be well. All the best. Bye-bye.